There is a hymn that presents to us a very, very poignant question. And the question is this, what shall I render to God for all his goodness? What shall I render? That's an appropriate question, isn't it? Amen. What shall I render to God for all his goodness? But long before that question, long before that question was forged into the stanza of the hymn, another songwriter wrote a similar question. And this songwriter was the psalmist in Psalm 116.12. And his question is this, what shall I render to God for all his benefits towards me? And I really like that version of the stanza because the psalmist made it personal. What shall I render to God, watch this, for all his benefits, watch this, towards me. Michael Jackson would say, the man in the mirror. The psalmist made it personal. And I love that because, well, I think that every now and then, we need to go personal with what God has done for us. Amen. Amen. And the psalmist seems to be implying that no doubt God has been good to you, but I want to talk about, right now, I want to talk about what God has done for me. Amen. The benefits that God has granted me. And I want to pause right now just long enough to, to, to ask you a question. Now, I know that you know that God is good to his people, plural. I know you know that God blesses his people corporately. But I want to take a moment to ask you, have God ever done anything for you personally? A personal you. Has God ever done anything for you individually, an individual you? Because I believe every now and then, like the psalmist did, we need to go personal with our testimony and personal with what God has done for us. Every now and then, when God is moving, when, when the fire gets shut up in my bones, Naeem, every now and then people might look at me kind of strange as I get to praising God with all my heart and all my mind. They might say, Pastor Cooper, don't take all of that. Well, you know what my response is? You don't know Come on now. like I know Come on now. what the Lord has done for me. You don't know you weren't there. You don't know when and you don't know where. What shall I render to God for all his goodness? The psalmist made it, he said towards me. What's unique about this one verse in our lesson for today and it just blows me away is Pastor Moses preparing this new generation of Israelites to cross over into the promised land he deals with the same issue he deals with the same subject but he poses it he presents it a little differently instead of asking what shall I render Moses tells them what not to render okay. to God. 
Listen to the text and listen to it prayerfully and carefully. Do not, Pastor Moses says, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. You see, he's dealing with the same issue that the hymn writer's dealing with. He's dealing with the same issue that the psalmist was dealing with, but he puts it a little bit different. Instead of what shall I render, he tells them what not to render. Do not half-step God. Do not render to God anything that would be defective or have any flaws in it. So allow me to just take a moment to give you a little brief history on the Old Testament sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Leviticus, God teaches Israel how sinful man is to rightly approach a holy God. And sinful man, being sinners, cannot just bust up on a holy God any kind of way. All right. There, there, there has to be something has to be done about the sin problem. Uh, all right. That, that we all have. God is a holy God. Amen. Perfectly holy. Amen. And in the Old Testament, God taught Israel in the book of Leviticus the proper way for sinful man to approach a holy God through sacrifice, through blood sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, Testament economy, there were several different sacrifices, but primarily for our purposes today, I just want to mention a few, a few, about three, that dealt with the issues of propitiation, which means satisfying or appeasing a holy God, and expiation, which has to do with taking away sins. God saw fit to teach Israel to slay an animal in order to present Three different offerings. One was a burnt offering on a brazen altar that really points us to Calvary that was to come. It was an offering that was to go on the uh, brazen altar in the morning and in the evening to deal with sinful man and sinful man's sin problem. I'm using man, but I'm talking about women too. Women have the same sin nature Amen. that men do. We're all fallen. Amen. But then there was a, a guilt offering. There was a, a sin offering that dealt with um, unintentional sin where they put uh, uh, they slayed the animal, shed the blood of an animal and burned it on an offering to deal with our sins that we didn't commit, didn't mean to commit but we still committed them. And then there was a trespass offering or, 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 or called the guilt offering that dealt with intentional sins, sins that we sinned against our brother, sinned against our sister, didn't pay what we were supposed to pay, stole something, had inappropriate sexual relations, whatever it was, that was dealt with by the trespass offering. But God taught his people all the way back in the book of Exodus that anytime you bring any animal sacrifice to me to approach me in worship or to approach me with your sin issues, you have to hold that animal for four days. On the 10th day of the month, they would get the animal, but they wouldn't sacrifice the animal to the 14th day of the month. You know why? Four days, they had to inspect the animal. Four days. Because that animal couldn't be just any kind of animal. It just couldn't be any beast. It had to be the animal that God chose, but it also had to be the animal that had no blemishes, no defects. No flaws. 
in part because of who the lamb uh, uh, was going to represent. The, the, the animal sacrifice was really pointing forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, who would be our true lamb, the ultimate lamb of God, without sin, without blemish, without fault, without defect. So the animal that they chose had to be inspected for four days before it goes on the altar, make sure there are no blemishes. Are you with, if, you, if you're still amen. with me, would you say amen? amen? Make sure there's no flaw. Make sure there's no defect. Because of who that animal is representing. How many of you know God is perfectly holy? In all of his ways, there is no fault, no defect, no sin in Jesus. And so that was the essence of the sacrificial system. So Moses reminds this new generation again, do not render to me, do not render to the Lord, rather, your God, an ox or a sheep that has any defect or fall all in it. For to a holy God, that would be an abomination. That would be detestable to him. He's holy. Now, allow me for just a minute to unpack your very first point on your sheet that undergirds all that I see it so far about the animal sacrificial system, about sinful man's rightful approach to God through blood sacrifice, pointing forward to the coming of the real lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. And what undergirds it all is this very foundational fact. God is a jealous God. Amen. Let me say it again. God is a jealous God. Amen. God didn't mind telling his people up front from the very beginning well, in the second book of the Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 5, that he's a jealous God, straight up, period. You shall have, Exodus 23, thou shalt have no other gods before me, all right? Thou shalt not bow down or serve any other God, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Exodus 20, verse 5. Straight up, point blank. Now, isn't that interesting? Because a lot of husbands are afraid to say they're jealous of their wife. Mm. <laughs> or jealous for their wife. Or jealous of their wife. You know, you know, we, we uh, as men, we want to be, we want to be Tarzan, right? We want to be macho man. But here's the thing that intrigues me about the Almighty. He's perfectly self-existent, perfectly self-contained, but don't mind telling you point blank that he's jealous, that he's a jealous God. Awesome. Awesome. He's the Almighty, but he tells us up front, I'm a jealous God. And here I want to unpack for you how him being a jealous God ties into the fact that we ought to offer God our best. Amen. We ought to always, in whatever it is that we do, offer God our best. Listen to this. If we offer God less than our best, who are we, who are we reserving our best for? See, see, this ties into why, why, why God is a jealous God, and it ties into 
why we ought to offer God our best because of who God is. And if we offer God in whatever it is we do, in our time, in our talents, in our spiritual gifts, in our support, in our tithes, in our offerings, in our gifts, anything that we do in the name of the Lord, if it's less than our best for him, help me understand who are we reserving our best for? Is it for ourselves? I mean, if we choose to offer God less than our best, are we reserving our best for ourselves? For the unholy three? You know the unholy trinity, don't you? Me? Myself? Oh, y'all know. Y'all know that unholy trinity. But it ties into the fact, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep with any defect or any flaw in it for that would be detestable to the Lord your God. Let me, let me, let me just give it to you straight. No chaser. Never give bargain basement worship to a high-end God. Because if you're holding back your best from him and reserving your best for someone else, whoever that might be, spouse, children, whoever, not making it yourself. Let me remind you of Isaiah 42, uh, 42, 6 it is. I got it on your sheet here. I don't want to misquote it. Isaiah 42, 8. Jesus speaking through the prophet, God speaking rather, through the prophet Isaiah I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another, nor give my praise to graven images. So God also wants praise, but not flawed, defective praise. God wants wholehearted, sincere, yes. authentic, yes. energized, vitalized praise. Uh -huh. And I'm not going to share that level of praise with anyone. Amen. So that's the first point in our lesson today. God is jealous. Always remember that. He's awesome. He's mighty. He's almighty. He's self-contained. He's all-sufficient, self-existent, but he's a jealous God. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep that has any defect or flaw in it. That would be detestable to him. Render to the best nothing less. Can you hear me? Amen. Render to the best. Would you agree that he's the best? Amen. First of all, you got to agree with that. Would you agree that he's the best? Render to the best, nothing less. But there's something else, just, just, just three points that I want you to get. The second one is this. Because of who God is, he deserves. Amen. And I want to emphasize, he merits. Nothing less than the best of everything we have to offer. That's the second point. First is he's a jealous God. We got that. The second is, listen, because of who God is, he deserves, he merits nothing less than the best of everything. 
we have to offer. In other words, think about this. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was mediatorial, okay, in the sense that we needed a mediator to bridge the gap between a holy God and sinful man. I talked about the Old Testament sacrificial system to open the message because that was God's Old Testament way to deal with man's sin problem. But not only was Jesus mediatorial, he became the perfect lamb that the Old Testament animals could never replicate. It wasn't that God, uh, uh, it wasn't that the animal sacrifices uh, was, was efficacious or, or or, or, or had any uh, power in their blood, but it allowed God to look forward to the true blood Amen. of the true lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only, not only was Jesus' death on the cross mediatorial and that he filled in the gap, it was also meritorious and that he lived a perfect life. Amen. Amen. So his death on the cross is mediatorial. He stood in the gap between sinful man and a holy God, but it was also meritorious in that he merited our salvation because he never sinned. He lived a perfect life for you who do sin. He merited our salvation by taking our sins upon him and never ever violating the law or the truth of God's word. How can we give a God like that anything less than our best? If you could feel me, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> There's three words. I put it on your outline that kind of captures it for me. It's a song, but it's also scripture. It's worthy is the lamb. I just have to bow when I say that. <laughs> worthy is the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the very world. I, I want to I um, give you a couple scriptures to highlight who it is that we worship in terms of what the Bible says about him to elevate our willingness and to motivate and, and inspire us to give God his best. One of them is Revelation. You don't have to turn. I'm going to read it. Revelation chapter 5, 12 and 13. Listen to this. This is John witnessing an open door in heaven and experiencing what took place. He heard in heaven a loud voice saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. I just want to say to you, worthy is the Lamb of the living God. He's worthy. The Bible reports that we know from our own lives and our own experience that God, our God, is worthy. God alone, listen to me, God alone is the first and he's the last. He's the beginning and he is the end. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He is the one that I can stand firm-feeded and say, now 
in his corner of the universe, in his corner standing in white trunks and red gloves and a crown on his head, the heavyweight champion of the universe, the Lord God Almighty, the glorious one. How could we give someone like that anything less than our best? When we were at our worst, God gave us heaven's best. Yes. Now that we are saved, can we hold, should we hold back anything from God? One of the things that I'm, I'm so blessed about, and, and I just have to be honest with you, when our worship team is ministering, when our flag ministry is ministering, I'm watching because I'm going I'm to praise God, I'm going to worship, but you know when God is moving in their, in their worship team, and I see them falling back their heads, I see them closing their eyes, and they're giving God their yeah, best. Yeah. I know I got to stand and preach, but you don't know what that does for me in preparing me to stand and preach. I'm thinking if you giving God that kind of praise, and worshiping him and I got to come after you and I got to pre it motivates me to preach. When I watch uh, Sister Habiba today and I watch Heather today doing their flags, I'm watching them work them flags. Work that thing, work that thing. I'm watching them work it because it seems to me that they understand that they're waving the flags for the Lord and they got to give the Lord their best. I saw Habiba spinning in circles and waving that flag at the same time. Habiba, when you get my age, you ain't going to be able to spin in circles like that when you get my age because you'll get dizzy. But it says to me that they want to give God their best. When the worship team fell back their head and they closed their eyes, it says to me, you got to stand in the way they are ministering. You got to give God all your best because they're preparing a way for the word of the living God. God is worthy of all that we have to offer. Give God your best. Give him your best. And nothing less. And nothing less. Amen. Now, I want to give you a couple other scriptures highlighting why we should give God our very best. The other one is Isaiah 44, 6. Listen to this. And see if it resonates with your spirit. Isaiah chapter 44 in verse 6 through 8. According to Isaiah, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show them to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Here I am. Here I not, I'm sorry. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Amen. <laughs> 
No, not one. When God says, I know no other God, I know not one, then guess what? He's the one and only. Amen. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. And then we'll move on to the last point. Listen to this exalted expression about our Lord Jesus Christ. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's worthy Amen. of our best Amen. and nothing less. One last point, and then we go. And this last point comes to you by way of a question, because it came to me by way of a question. And what God deals with me on, I got to deal with you on. Amen. Here's the question. Is there a deflect, is there a deflect or flaw in your worship? Mm -hmm. I want you to work with that. I mean, is there a defect or flaw in your worship? Remember, do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect. This is Old Testament worship, but it applies to us today. Yes. Do not sacrifice anything that has any defect or flaw in it, for that would be detestable to him. Is there any defect or flaw in your worship? Let me just throw out a couple biblical ways that we can have defects or flaws in our worship. And I don't say this to try to, um, you know, uh, 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 batter or badger anybody, but I am trying to help somebody. Amen. And we help each other with the word of God. Listen to this. If you are religious but not saved, that's unacceptable worship. Let me say it again. If you are religious, but not saved, that's unacceptable, defective worship. Hebrews, I'm not going to read these, but you got them on your sheet. Check me. Check me. I did my work, but you check me. Hebrews 12, 27 through 29. John 14, 6. I will quote, I am the way, Jesus said. The truth and the life, no man gets to the Father except by me. So if you try to get to God... And skipping Jesus, that's defective worship. Also check Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Two others, and we're done. Is there any defect or flaw in your worship? Seeking to worship God when you have unresolved issues with your brother or sister is unacceptable, defective worship. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then leave your gift at the altar. Go and get it right with your brother or your sister and then come back and offer your gift. 
undealt with unresolved issues with your brother and sister and you still trying to worship God is defective, unacceptable worship to a holy God. Get it right with your brother and sister. The Bible says, check me, check me. I'm, this ain't me. I'm not coming out my own head. Check me. It's in the book. Matthew chapter 5, 23, 24. It tells you to get it right. You go to the brother. You go to the sister. You get it right. Don't try to act like you in love with me and worship me while you got issues with your sister or with your brother. Matthew, check me. Matthew 5, 23, 24. Are y'all mad? One more. Seeking to worship God while living in unconfessed Unrepentant sin is defective, unacceptable worship. <laughs> I need to say it again. <laughs> Seeking to worship God while living in unconfessed, unrepentant sin is defective, unacceptable worship. Now let me tell you how the true worshipers do it. True worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. So that means you got to get outside yourself because yourself ain't spirit. Yourself is flesh. You got to come outside your flesh and worship God authentically, earnestly, zealously in spirit and in truth. And I understand as you worship God in spirit, you ain't concerned about you or what you look like. You know, I see some people, this is, this is false worship to me. I see some people shouting in church or doing their thing in church, and they looking around <laughs> to see who's looking at them, see if they're getting attention. You know what I mean? To see, you know, see if they're getting attention by what, what they're doing. God knows that. that. Right. You don't need to be looking at nobody. See, you need to be looking up. <laughs> when you give a God that kind of that level of worship, yeah. it's Him yeah. that yeah. you look into, and Him yeah. that you seek yeah. to glorify. Not your, not not lateral folk. That's right. But vertical folk. The Trinity. Amen. And it got to be sincere. Amen. You ain't trying to perform for anybody. That's right. You're not trying to put on a show. You love Jesus, yeah. and you're trying to worship Jesus. Amen. So that's just a few that I gave you from the word of God that isn't, you know, it's unacceptable to him. That's all I can say. I got the word of God to back me. I encourage you to read these scriptures when you go home. There's a song the worship team used to do. It kind of punctuates this message. They used to sing a song. It says, an incredible God deserves incredible praise. I want to just close this message by saying, back in the day, I used to love to watch Michael Jordan plays some basketball. Michael Jordan is the baddest to me. He's the baddest, he was the baddest basketball playing cat on the planet that I knew. And I still believe that. Now, LeBron James is nice. Don't get me wrong. LeBron James is nice. But Mike, <laughs> Michael's stuff was, Michael's stuff was incredible. But what I'm saying not to say is, Mike used to always say, when you come to the gym, bring your A game. 
I, I don't want to deal with you if you come bringing your B game, your C game, your D game, and definitely don't flunk out with your F game. If you come on the court that I'm on, you better make sure you bring your A game. I'm saying when you come into God's court, in the sanctuary of the living God, bring your A praise. It's better not to praise him at all if you want half step with Jesus. Right. Because Jesus didn't half step when he went to the cross. Right. If you love some Jesus, I believe that you ought to be able to give Jesus the spiritual, authentic, yeah. unflawed, uh, unblemished praise uh -huh. that is due his holy name. Oh, yeah. No wonder David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Yeah. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. No wonder the psalmist concluded the book of Psalms with praise him in the sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him on the symbols. And praise him on the high sounding symbols. Praise him with the tambourine and the timbre. Praise him with the dance. But let everything, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Always give God your best. Amen. Don't worry about what people think right. about you. Don't worry about what people, they don't know what God has done for you. Don't worry about looking to the side of anybody looking at you. It's not about them. It's about the Lord. Praise him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Glory, 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 glory. Would you join me on your feet?